Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering dark season two. Episode 5, Lost and Found. In this episode, guys, we have had so many moments of people just missing one another in this show, almost getting it, then not quite getting it. And this moment with Ulrich finally reuniting with Mikkel and then being torn apart is just about too much to bear. I can't handle it. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Natasha. So first of all, I want to thank Nikolai very much for commissioning this episode. Um, and hopefully, Nikolai, you are able to hear this eventually. Um, I emailed Nikolai to let them know that I had to reschedule, but I didn't hear back. So fingers crossed that you are able to come today or that you're okay with this. Um, I, guys, this episode is just like a bad dream in a lot of ways. It's just, I will say... That at least Ulrich and Mikkel know who the other is and get to actually have physical contact before they're torn apart, which I understand if some people feel like that makes it worse. But for me, the scene where they are in the cave and Ulrich can hear Mikkel calling out, but then can't find him and then thinks maybe he imagined it, that for me was worse because... First of all, I didn't love that scene because I felt like Mikkel is not, or I felt Ulrich did not put in his due diligence in terms of like shouting back and making himself heard and that they could have maybe found one another if he had kept yelling, which he doesn't do. Um, but I also felt like that was one of those moments where each of them feels abandoned in some way. Each of them feels completely helpless and like the, uh, like, the other doesn't know that the one is looking for them. And I like that at least here, Mikkel gets confirmation that his father is looking for him. His father has been trying to find him. He doesn't know why his father looks so much older. He, you know, like there's, I don't know how much of an explanation his dad goes into with that because we don't see their full conversation. We see them reunited and then we cut and we go to, um, uh, not Victoria. What is her name? I can't remember the name of the woman who's taking care of Mikkel. But she is at the, um, at the hospital stealing drugs that she's apparently like feeding Mikkel, which we, I mean, highly questionable lady. And we just see her like come home and find the two glasses that had had orange juice in them. But there's not a great indicator of how much time passed between when Ulrich comes and gets Mikkel and when they are walking off. I think of it as they immediately leave. But maybe Mikkel asks his father what happened, you know, like, 
I don't know. And what kills me is that they are heading back to that cave. And Mikkel tried to go back to that cave once and he gets interrupted by Noah, if I'm not mistaken. And I really wish that he would try again. And I understand that the whole concept of the show is that everything everybody does, we already know they try to do. So even if he tries again, that will have been something that no one knows about and will again be able to intercede on. But you know what I mean? I can't help but wonder if there ever comes a point where somebody acts unexpectedly, where they do something that they really didn't like mean or that they hadn't done the first time. It seems like everything just does. People just do what they did, you know, but I would kind of enjoy seeing a wild card who's very unpredictable and maybe a tiny change in one other thing makes them take a different course of action. I don't know what that would look like. Um, but anyway, okay, I'm going to get started because I am getting ahead of myself here. So we start off with yet another sex scene between Jonas and Martha. What's so funny though, is that this is the older Jonas guys. This girl that plays Martha, I got to wonder what it was like for 80% of her on this show to be her having sex with Jonas. Like, it's just, uh, you know, and, and that's probably not fair. It's probably only like around 40%. But nevertheless, it's quite a lot. And she has to do this, the uh, scene with the younger Jonas and then the older Jonas. And eventually, I'm just like, I hope it's, we don't have Adam up in here at some point, because that is something I am not interested in. And, uh, it turns out in the end that this is just a dream, but um, we have this like creepy moment. She and older Jonas are, uh, they, they like pause from having sex and he pulls back from her to look at her stomach. And she's having this like kind of moment of panic. And we see these black veins kind of uh, going into the center towards her belly button. And then all of a sudden, that sort of like God particle material just like pierces her body and like comes out of her. It's really horrifying. And it's interesting that it's in her stomach. It feels like this is him feeling like he impregnated her with it or something. Not exactly, but there's like a that kind of symbolism there where it's like, almost as, <clears throat> excuse me it's almost as if he's blaming himself for like bringing this darkness into her life you know um and he wakes up and he's you know in bed at home and is obviously like you know shook by this and it's clearly a recurring dream for both of them that this is happening and then we cut to young jonas who uh is still in bed Reminder, this guy is in 1921 and he had just finished meeting Adam at the end of the last episode. And I say reminder because it's been two months since the last episode. And I, I actually should mention here that only three more episodes have been commissioned. And the uh, I believe that the, they've all been commissioned. Or it's Nikolai and Allison. Thank you to both of you. The last commissioned episode is episode eight, which is commissioned for April 10th. And then after that, I have nothing for dark and I am booked until the third week of June. So if anybody wants another episode of this, you're going to have to get on that because this is going to be on the chopping block. This uh, that's, you know, what um, May, June. Yeah. So that's going to be close to two months. So I just want to alert you guys, uh, go to unspoiledpodcast.com slash shop if you're interested in commissioning an episode. Um, so, okay, he wakes up, his older self is sitting right there by the bed in this really creepy fucking way. I, okay, so I don't really think that Adam is lying. Not really. Not that he's Jonas. But there's a part of me that wants so badly to believe that he's Jonas or that he's lying to Jonas because 
I can't imagine this moment of he has been very cruel, I feel like. And I just can't see our Jonas getting to this point. We'll have more of a conversation with Adam about what he is really trying to accomplish here. But it's so strange that I don't really understand a lot of it. Um, and I'm just trying to be honest with you guys when I say that, that I don't feel like I entirely get it. I am, I'm trying. And if any of you, you know, either in the comments now or in comments on the post for this episode later, want to give me your take on this, it just felt so sort of like vague and, and metaphysical to me that it could be interpreted in a lot of ways. Um, so anyway, Adam is watching him and can see that Jonas is repulsed by him. But even if he couldn't see, he experienced this. He knows what Jonas feels. He felt it. Um, and Jonas is saying, I just want to know how to get home. I have, and he kind of like tries to frame this as an urgent matter because in any second, this like, you know, disaster is about to happen. And I've seen the graves, etc. But then Adam points out, that's not going to happen for another 99 years. I mean, that's really hard to argue with, like, I, it, it, well, that's what's so weird about this is knowing that you can get to any of these timelines at any point makes them all feel like they're simultaneously happening until you think about the way time works. And then you realize that like, that they're not really simultaneous. One thing had to happen first, or else you wouldn't know about the others, but they are existing. It's my brain bends. I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, And I found it really interesting. Jonas looks across at a uh, shelf in the room And he sees his old, uh, like, first of all, the yellow rain jacket that he wears at the beginning of the episode and a pair of like what look like Converse sneakers and some simple um, pants and top. Like these are clothes that either definitely belonged to him at one point and he saved or he got like identical items to things that he used to have. And then we go back to 2020 two days until the apocalypse. And Hannah is asleep and her son, older Jonas, is standing over her, looking at her with real contempt. I mean, this, uh, he, he has finally gotten to the point that most of us have gotten to as viewers already, where we just realize that she's like, not a good person and pretty selfish and really manipulative and underhanded and generally just like bad. And uh, it's a a sad moment of him. You would really think that as old as he's gotten by now, and as much as he's been through already, he would have realized that he can't trust anybody, but it's clear that he thought his mother at least was somebody that he could go to. And he says that as he says as much to her later. And now he doesn't even have that. But we'll get back to that because that scene is pretty explosive. And I liked it. Let's go to Katharina. She stops Magnus and Martha from leaving because she has this photo of, you know, the class that has the class from like, what was it? 1987? Um, that has Mikkel in it. And she's wanting to like share with them what she's found. And I have to say, normally when a script is written in in this sort of way, where there's a a really piece of important information and one of the characters just doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to listen. I get really annoyed and frustrated. It feels extremely contrived it will feel like I 
you know, I can't believe that they wouldn't just at least pause because a lot of times when that's happening, the person is so desperate for information that the fact that they wouldn't listen to literally anybody who's trying to talk to them, that feels unlikely to me. But I have to say, in this scene, Martha telling Katharina, fuck you, I absolutely, like, never, I, I don't want you coming out here and giving the two of us demands about how now we ha all of a sudden have to pay attention to you. You haven't spoken to us for literally months at this point. Why should we give you any time of ours, any attention, anything? I, I can't be mad at Martha. I really can't. The way that this is, is done and the rage that we see from Martha, but also we see Magnus behind her and he doesn't say a word. That to me indicates that he feels like she's getting it completely right. I think that he's, you know, he's like, she's dead on and I have nothing to add because she's gotten it so right. And I just, I, like I said, normally this would really bother me, but I really, really appreciate, especially when you're a kid, it's, it's, and at this age, a lot of people try and act like being abandoned when you're older is sort of easier than when you're a little kid, because when you're little, you are so much more vulnerable. And I think a lot of people feel as if older kids are like able to fend for themselves because they're, they trick you into thinking that they are adults by the way that they want to be perceived as well as what they look like. And I think people really underestimate the damage that is done when you fuck somebody over as a teen. I think that can do more damage than even as a young child, because as a young child, you are still formulating relationships and associations and deep memories. And you have the opportunity to make new relationships that mean a lot. You can still form deep bonds. When you are a teenager, you are beginning to trust everyone a little less. You are confused about your own place in the world because the world doesn't know what to do with teenagers. Let's be honest. Like that in-between time, and I don't mean tweens because tweens we even still know what to do with. We can see their children. But when they are at this age, when they're seniors in high school, juniors in high school, just around that point where we want to start acting like we can hold them really responsible for things, I feel like that's the most vulnerable time in our lives in a lot of ways because we are trying to figure out what path to take now. As a kid, we don't really have a lot of choice in the path that we're taking. We are handed to whomever we're handed to for them to take care of us and we have to cope with that. And if something happens to those people or if they let us down and we are taken from them, we don't have a lot of say in that either. As a teenager, you are now starting to embark on your own life using whatever tools you've got and you're hoping somebody can give you some more before you're really on your own. And if the people in your life are not there for you at all, you begin your life alone with less than average. And so I like I think it would be easy watching this to not have a lot of sympathy for Martha because she and Magnus are so much older and to feel like you know she her saying that she says something like look around you we're the kids here but you've behaved like one for months i feel like a lot of people could hear that and be like you're not kids though yeah they are a hundred percent they are they are kids whose father has disappeared whose little brother has disappeared and their mother has basically also disappeared and now she wants to just have a conversation like she hasn't been ignoring them for months and they're not interested. I mean, that's what happens. And this is something that I feel a lot of parents take for granted is that they assume because they are the parent, they sort of like 
have this entitlement to their kids' attention. They feel like no matter what they've done, if they deign to come back into their child's life, that their child owes them another chance or owes them attention. And I've got news for you, parents. If you fuck up bad enough, there is no reason your kid needs to give you another chance of any kind. There is no reason that they need to keep you in their life. You may feel that they owe you, but I promise they don't. They are an adult. And if you want to treat them like an adult that is has their own problems and can take care of themselves, you also have to accept the fact that they don't need you anymore. And there's no reason for them to take you back into their lives. So this scene, I just I really liked it. And I didn't expect it to go this way. I really expected Martha and Magnus to be excited that she's finally talking to them and to want to hear what she has to say. I didn't expect this rage. I should have if I really thought about it. But, you know, Katharina puts her hand up to try and touch Martha's face and Martha shoves her off and says, even if you do want to talk now, we don't need it. And she storms out and Magnus gives his mom a look, but she he follows Martha. He's, you know, like basically also done. And Katharina just sort of stands there and she even nods at one point like, she knows that she deserves this. And that's part of, I think, what leads her to go to um, Hannah's house and why she lashes out at Hannah the way she does. And don't get me wrong. It's not that Hannah doesn't deserve it because fuck that bitch. But we had seen such a like about face because last time the two of them were just alone. It was Hannah completely manipulating Katharina and telling her, all kinds of stories about how like Ulrich wanted to leave and, you know, that he didn't really love you. And now we're seeing Katharina, she needs to exert control again. And the only way that she can find to do that is to kind of bully Hannah a little bit. And I'm fine with it. Go ahead, you know. But we'll get back to that scene in a second. We have um, this interesting scene with Alexander. He's talking to somebody with the police who wants he's he's telling them to find out about Clausen, the uh, really nosy cop who has been getting into all of their business. And he's telling him, find out what it is that that Clausen's really after, because it's clear since he's nosing around the plant that it's not just about what he claims. There's something else happening here. And I am eager to see in the next episode if Alexander gets a response from this person, because I'm starting to wonder if Clausen is even with the police. Like, they all just sort of take it on faith that he is. And I assume that's true. But I'm realizing that there's not really any reason to take his word on that. Like, we don't know anything about this dude. He could very well be like, just a complete imposter sent here on behalf of Adam or whomever and, you know, be in the middle. Like, Oh my God. No, it's no. I just started thinking like, what if Clausen is another version of Jonas? I don't think so though. Right. We haven't seen middle-aged Jonas though. I don't know that. I mean, Clausen seems way too clueless. Jonas would know. He'd be asking much more pointed questions. Not that Clausen's questions have been very pointed, actually, but it feels much more like he's just noticing suspicious things and not that he's putting a pattern together. Jonas would know. So I guess that doesn't work. But I, guys, I just can't trust that anybody isn't anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, Alexander gets off the phone and um, Regina comes in. She's noticed that Bartos is missing, that he didn't sleep there last night. And Alexander is like, well, maybe he stayed at Martha's, which is one of those moments where I'm just like, what lives do these kids lead? Like, I was not allowed to spend the night with my high school boyfriends. And the idea that they would be fine with him sleeping at Martha's house is just like, it's so unheard of to me. Under no circumstances would that be allowed. But Regina points out that they broke up. I really like that detail that she is involved enough in his life to know that, you know, like Alexander's clearly got more going on, but she's closer to her son and is able to tell him these things. Um, 
And he honestly, pretty reasonably, it could be seen as like a foolish moment, but he says maybe they got back together and on like they're in high school. That happens. You just break up and get back together right away. It could have happened. But he asked if uh, she called and she says that nobody answered. And he says, I'm sure it's nothing. And she says, say everything's okay. And guys, as much as I have disliked a lot about Regina, every time I see her and Alexander, I have really am touched by it. These two are a fucking team. And I say that knowing that Alexander's hiding things from her. I don't know how much he's hiding. I'm not entirely sure of like the extent of everything. But I just really feel like Alexander truly cares about her. And when she says, say that everything's okay, he gives her this look of like genuine affection. And he says, everything's okay and holds her and, and she seems to take real comfort from that. And, you know, obviously he has his own worries and he can't help but wonder if she's right about this. But I always just sort of like, I'm pleasantly surprised that Regina was able to find somebody who really gives a shit about her after her mother treated her so poorly. It's just nice to know that you can find that with somebody eventually in life, you know? Um, so we go to the mental hospital that Ulrich is in. And uh, we get a little overview of everybody like they're, you know, not all locked in their rooms. People are out able to play dominoes with one another, taking their meds, just kind of walking around. And uh, he's got his eye on this dude when he comes in because the guy has his. Uh, I his like swipe card. Easily accessible on his pocket and. Ulrich later on bashes the guy over the head. I don't even remember what he hits him with. It was like a basin or something that he has in his room and steals the key card and gets away. And we're seeing him formulating his like plan, which is barely a plan. As we're going back and seeing Claudia reading this headline from the newspaper, former Winden chief inspector Egan Tiedermann uh, found dead. And it says like the very next day, right? So she's realizing that something is about to happen to her dad and she needs to take care of this. And by the way, she's looking at this headline that she printed out while she was in our time. So she has gone back to her own time and is sitting at her desk at work reading this. As she's sitting there, her secretary comes in and tells her that the French delegation is here. And she tells this woman to reschedule and gets up and leaves right then and there. I can't tell you how fucking bad I felt for this poor secretary. She's just trying to do her goddamn job. And she has to deal with this woman who seems flighty as fuck. You know, I could imagine that the way Claudia is acting right now would like because she's the first woman to be in charge of the power plant that this would be giving like all kinds of fuel to people who were like see i told you women can't handle the stress of this job like i bet anything that there are already people talking like that and this poor woman has to go out there and cope with the uh the french delegation who is standing waiting to see her and explain to them that they need to reschedule thanks for coming so sorry like what a bummer so we go back to young Jonas and here comes this like conversation. First of all, he's looking at this huge painting. What is this painting, guys? Is this a Caravaggio? It is a, and I can't tell if it's supposed to be of heaven or hell. It looks awful. Either way, I think it's hell. Um, and older Jonas, who I'll continue to call Adam, um, he says a man lives three lives. The first is the end of naivete. The second, the loss of innocence. And the third ends with the loss of his life. And I'm just like, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't know. That, that feels like nonsense, but okay, sure. Go off, Adam, whatever. Um, and he says, when you go through all three stages, you turn into your older self and your older self will turn into what you see here. 
Um, and Jonas says, I have to get, this is when he's like, I have to get back now. It's going to happen. I've seen all the graves. And Adam says, you have lots of time. You've got 99 years. And you can see that Jonas, like, the idea of literally having to wait for that amount of time is unthinkable to him. He just, like, starts to really kind of break down at just the thought of that. Um, so then we cut back to Claudia asking her father to move in with him, with them, with her and Regina. This is such a touching scene that I feel so terrible about. Claudia is still under the impression here that she can change what happens, I think. So there's two ways to read this scene. And I went back and forth while I was watching it. Either she's trying to keep her father from dying because she's read this thing and she still thinks that she can affect the future and actually change it. Or she knows her father's going to die and there's nothing she can do about it. And she wants to give him a last moment of happiness by offering to let him live with them because she knows there's no chance that's even going to happen. But she feels bad at the fact that they've grown apart and wants to give him a ray of hope. That second one is a very cynical way of looking at it, but it's also a very like sort of kind way of looking at it in terms of her wanting to help out her dad in the face of something that's inevitable and making it a little bit more pleasant for him. But it's a weird, like it's, everything is so strained between the two of them that when she offers this, you can see his face really light up. Like he just never thought this was going to be a possibility and when she says tomorrow, he says, you're acting as if I'm inches from death. And this is why I think she is trying to like save his life. I think, but it could be the second one. Um, I just really like seeing Egan happy for a minute. He just really went through it, man. You know, like this guy, I, he has tried to do his best. He really seems to have. And we haven't seen a lot, like there's a big portion of his life missing. So there is a chance we will go back and forth more in future episodes and see him do some other shit that it will change my opinion of him. But as of right now, he just seemed like a guy who's like a little bit clueless, but not unintelligent, just missing the key things here and there and doing his best and doing what he thinks is the right thing to do and trying to just be a decent person. That's what he's trying to do. And he just keeps getting fucked over and over from every direction. And I just, I, I if this is just a ruse that Claudia is just trying to give him a moment of happiness before his inevitable death, I'm glad that she did that. I just want to see him be happy for a second. You know, this poor dude, it's just seemed like everything has been fucking miserable for him. And what an about face for me, because when we meet him in uh, 87, when he's just fucking dogging Ulrich's steps, I was just getting so irritated with him because he just seemed like for some reason he had it out for Ulrich specifically. And it felt very irrational. It was just sort of like, dude, get over it. I was sick of hearing about it and I was really just expecting him to be the unreasonable old man thorn in his side, which he definitely is to a degree, but he's more than that. And I just really like getting to see that unfold. I thought that was well done. Um, okay. So we have the confrontation between it, between Hannah and, and Katharina. And I love Katharina. She's just trying to wrap her mind around this time thing. And when Hannah tells her that Jonas has a time machine, you can see her struggling so bad not to just laugh in Hannah's face, trying to accept it. And Jonas has taken it with him anyway. So it doesn't really matter as of right now. Katharina just has this like moment of looking a little bereft here. And again, she just feels so lost. And she's looking at this picture on the table that is now she knows of her son. And he's just older. 
And she says, he was right in front of me the whole time. I just can't take in the fact that you slept with my husband and my son. I guess you always wanted everything that was mine. You're like a parasite. I mean, she's not wrong, though. And she asks Hannah, did Ulrich ever tell you that he loved you? In the end, he would always choose us. And this is a nice moment, considering that we know that Hannah just fucking lied her tits off the last time the two of them talked and tried to make her think uh, that Ulrich was about to leave the family when we knew that was not anywhere close to what was going to happen. In the end, he definitely was going to choose his family and his wife. They grew apart. Maybe things weren't the same between the two of them, but his children, no question. And you can see in this moment, Hannah knows that that, Katharina's right, knows that she has lost, knows that her manipulation didn't take. And it's just kind of great because, like I've said, fuck that bitch. So this is when Clausen comes in. He is going around asking questions. Hannah says something about how she forgot he was coming. And, you know, her son is missing. So he kind of voices some surprise at the fact that she forgot and you know, we know perfectly well what, where he's gone and why she has forgotten what other shit she's been dealing with. But from his point of view, that is a really weird thing to say. I get it. And I love when Katharina is asked, they hold up a picture of older Jonas. And he asks, do you know this guy? Have you seen him around anywhere? And she says no, and then turns and looks directly at Hannah. Like, see, I'm still not going to tell your secret. Because I don't have the the I, I don't lack a spine like you do. And I'm not that petty. And it's just kind of great. I just rather liked it. Um, so yeah, he comes in, sits down and has this like moment of just staring Hannah down. And is really there's something about him. I feel like that's probably what makes him good at his job, if this is indeed his job, is the way that he lets silences stretch and doesn't fill them or attempt to like make things pleasant for a person. He asks the question and then he waits for the answer and watches every movement of their face and lets them know that's what he's doing. It is intimidating. I can't lie. Um, so then we go to older Jonas, who's uh, broken into very unceremoniously, by the way, broken into um, Ulrich's house. And he goes to Martha's room and he leaves a necklace. The uh, I think it's like a St. Michael medallion. I feel like we saw her give this to him at another point in the show. But that's part of the problem with covering these so far apart. I don't remember when she did that. Um, but he leaves it on her pillow for her to find, which she does indeed later on. And she also hears like from, uh, Bartos later that Jonas comes back and she really latches onto that. It's very clear that she and Jonas have this like connection. And I wonder how long that's going to last if it outlasts all of this, you know, um, so we go back to the conversation between young Jonas and Adam. Um, and he says, he says something about how, like, I, uh, I know, oh, young, young Jonas asked, do you know everything that's going to happen? Adam says, I know when wars begin and end, what discoveries science makes in the next mm -hmm. few years. I know what stock, what shares to invest in, but I don't know what my counterpart will do as long as I haven't seen his future. And Jonah says, but you know mine, you know what I'm going to do. And Adam says, I am your future. Which understandably Jonas responds to with, there must be a way to change everything because look, you don't want to be Adam. Nobody wants to be Adam. Look at this fucking guy. I don't care that he's surrounded by the trappings of wealth. He has been 
terribly disfigured by something that I'm going to guess is has to do with like n- nuclear power, toxic waste, something like this. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a fire. But this is a guy that does not seem happy, who seems very alone, who is like, you know, megalomaniacal to a point of of wanting to get rid of God is kind of the way he keeps talking. Um, and Jonas says there has to be a way to change the way, the way everything goes down. And Adam basically says it took me 66 years, but yeah, I think I found a way out. A loophole is what he's calling it. And then we cut away again because everything is just cut together so abruptly in this show, guys. Um, Clausen says to Hannah that he can tell people in this town are hiding something, but he can't tell if they're all hiding the same thing or if they're each dealing with individual separate skeletons in all their closets. To which she just responds because he he points out that he knows she's been getting money wired from Alexander into her account, despite the fact that she hasn't been in there giving him massages like she had been. And wants to know what it is she's doing for him in order to get this money. He doesn't say blackmail. One could even hear in the way he's asking if she's a prostitute. But I think he knows it's blackmail. And she frames it as, in this community, we stick together. We He knows that I need the help. And he knows what we're going through right now. And he's just you know, trying to help out in the way that he can. And it's a pretty decent answer that would not have occurred to me to just be like, maybe he's just being nice and knows that I'm in trouble. Which honestly, maybe he's just being nice is not a convincing argument. I don't think she's fooling Clausen, but it's like plausible enough that there's not really all that much to be said about it at the time. Um, so then we go to Magnus, Martha, and... Uh, um, what is her name? Francesca and Elizabeth. Is Elizabeth the little girl? They're all heading into the cave where they have left Bartos overnight. I got to say, guys, there's this moment and I just laughed just seeing it again. I laughed at the time and I'm laughing again. Where Noah is watching them from behind a tree and he literally like slides out from behind the tree to watch them like horizontal like he's on a fucking skateboard and just like slid side it's hysterical he looks so sinister with his goddamn black fedora the whole thing oh my god it's way too much so this is when we have well it's not entirely like the the real deal Charlotte starts off in the bunker asking Jonas who Adam is. Now, Jonas at this point has to know, because we know how young Jonas is when he finds out. He has to know that Adam is himself. But he's still talking about Adam as if this is a different person, as if it's somebody separate. I'm assuming because he sees Adam as the enemy and doesn't want everybody else to know that he turns out to be the bad guy because maybe they'll just think of, well, we could just kill you and take you out of the equation and then it's fine. Um, But I don't know. Maybe that's not why. Maybe he doesn't want people knowing that he's working for Adam because he like is is aware that Adam seems like a bad guy and that they won't understand the ultimate goal that he's working for here. I don't know. Um, But he's explaining how everybody is basically a pawn. And, you know, there are people who are like real players, but most of the people that are involved in this are being used by Adam or by Claudia is also brought up. And Charlotte is trying to figure out who her parents are. We find out that the, uh, the guy who the inventor who raised her, who I thought was her grandfather, isn't even actually related to her. He's just who she grew up with. And I'm super curious who her father actually is. But yeah, it's a weird moment of just like 
me take having all of these assumptions and thinking that, you know, I know some of what's going on here and then realizing, oh, no, I definitely don't. And later on, when she is back at her house looking through all of the papers, Noah comes to see her. And he has a photo and tells her she's his daughter. Now, by this point, Charlotte's found out Noah's the one who's killed these kids. I don't believe she's been given the full context of, of what he's trying to do. That might be because older Jonas doesn't know what he's trying to do. But I assume he does know because he is aware that Noah's responsible at all. So I feel like he has to have all, the whole story by now. Regardless, when some guy that you know has been out here murdering kids comes up to you and tells you that they're the father that you've been looking for your whole life, that is not good news. That is not some shit you want to hear. So I really felt for Charlotte in this moment of just like wanting to know forever who her fucking parents are. And the first person to be like, oh, yeah, I'm your dad is just one of the worst pieces of like examples of humanity, you know, worst news ever. And she asks about her mother because he doesn't tell her. And he simply said, your mother loved you. She still does. Which suggests she's out here in time somewhere. I'm desperately curious. I really want to know who her mom is. I have no idea. Like, how could this work? Who? Is it Martha? Is that? Martha wouldn't sleep with Noah. God, I don't know, guys. Maybe we haven't even met our mother. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a big revelation. And her acting in that scene was so, so good. I even kind of felt a little bit for Father Noah just because of how desperate he seemed to want to make a connection with her here. But he has to know, dude, you're the fucking boogeyman by now. That's not happening, you know? All right. So let's go back to Bartos in this cave. They left him here overnight. I low-key wanted to see like a puddle of piss on the front of his pants or something. Because l let me tell you guys, you're left someplace overnight like this. You're definitely going to like piss and shit yourself. It's going to happen. They are telling him to fucking give them the information they're looking for or they are going to leave him here again. And he tries to act tough, but then when they begin to sincerely walk away, I think he realizes that they are not fucking here to play. They are going to leave him and they are not going to feel particularly bad about it. These kids are fucking cutthroat, man. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. They are dealing with like disappeared family members. The time to play is over, kids. I definitely support going hard, but damn, you know? So he finally caves and tells them it's a time machine. They're all understandably like, get the fuck out of here. And he's like, I told you that you wouldn't believe me. I don't know what to say. And then he starts to uh, get it like set up and he tells them all to come and stand closer. And I wouldn't have stood closer were I them if he wasn't also standing as close as he is. I would definitely be taking my cue from him. Otherwise, it'd be like, this is a fucking trap. And it, the we see like the electricity going up from it. And then they all get like surrounded by that that black ball of like, you know, what I guess is supposed to be the God particle. And then we cut to the scene where Claudia is talking to the... um previous i guess the founder of the nuclear power plant and she's talking about uh this waste that he said was a a result of a reaction to in the volume control system i checked the data everything was normal so she you know basically she's like you've been fucking lying tell me the truth about what went on and I like the look on this guy's face. He's like annoyed, but he's also like a little admiring and says something like, yeah, I knew you weren't going to let this go here. And just like gives her a folder full of information because he is aware that 
he, he, he has to cave here or she's just never going to shut up about it. And if she keeps digging, she will find out what she wants to find out anyway. And she'll reveal it to everybody. And that's the opposite of what he wants to happen. He basically tells her, you can see these, res- these results. And he's like kind of smiling at her in this way. as She's looking through the data and she says, these values don't make any sense. And he says, I thought so too. I had them run the test another time and then again and again, and the results were always the same. And we don't get to see the data. We don't really, you know, obviously like get the whole story on this, but she says, is this what I think it is? And he says, it's possible. It corresponds in several ways with the calculations of Englert. Who, who is it? He says of Englert, Brixton and Higgs, right? Is it Higgs? Um, and Brout, Brout and Higgs. Uh, I think antimatter. Is that what we're talking about here? Um, but yeah, she calls it the God particle. And essentially, the thing that gives mass, like, gives everything the mass it has. So she gets really excited. She's like, well, we have to make this data available to everybody then. And he says, okay, look, here's the thing. This amazing discovery was made because of a fucking accident Something went very badly wrong. And if we let everybody know how we discovered it, they're going to want to shut the plant down. The This is my life's work. This is my only legacy. So look, do what you want with the data. But don't tell people where you got it, where it comes from. Keep my name out of it. Keep the plant out of it at least as long as I'm alive. And I have to say, I don't know if he knows who he's dealing with here, because when he says as least, at least as long as I'm alive, there's a part of me that's like, dude, she could just fucking bump you off and then be like, here's some really amazing data, guys. Ah, does he think that's just not a possibility at all? I am just, I think in terms of TV shows. So that's my assumption right away. Um, but Okay, so I've already pretty much talked about the scene between Ulrich and uh, Mikkel, which is just so beautifully acted. The kid that plays Mikkel does a really good job. I Child actors showing intense emotion can be very unconvincing. You know, it's not always a good scene. And I was really pleased with that and the emotion behind it and everything. It was just so well done. Um, also, I just cannot believe how good the casting is, how much he really does look like Ulrich. It's just weird. I don't know where they found these people. It's crazy to me. Um, So back to fucking Adam with his <sighs> guys. I don't have time for Adam. He says, we've declared a war on time. God is our antagonist. God is time. We are creating a new world without time and without God. To which Jonas rightfully is just like, what? How? And he says, the God mankind has prayed to for thousands of years that everything is bound with exists as nothing other than time itself. This really, for those of you who are following along with the parable of the talents and parable of the sower, this sounds a lot like the religion that she founds in that book series called Earthseed, which uh, in that case, it's God is change. But it's pretty similar. Um, and he says it's not a thinking and uh, it's not a thinking entity or something that you can negotiate with. It's just a physical principle. It's got no compassion. It's got no interest. It is impartial and just is. And that's pretty much the way that she talks about it, too. And change and time could really be called the same thing, you know. Um, so. That This is what I mean in terms of him talking about, like, oh, we're declaring a war against time. I'm not even sure what that even means. But, you know, I don't like there's part of me that is like, do you even know either? I don't know. He says the universe is nothing but a giant knot from which there is no escape. 
And Jonas says, well, okay, if that's true, then how, how can we possibly stop all of this? And he says that I, all my life I was convinced that this moment here could never be repeated this way. I would never be able to say the words that my older self said to me back then. Because how could I ever want what he wanted? I couldn't understand how I could ever get to that place. And you can see Jonah starting to look very trepidatious here. And he says, now, 66 years later, I understand. And there are moments that change us forever. I really want to know. I, I got to assume that one of the moments that's changed him forever is whatever happened to him to disfigure him. There is pain that you never forget. And he leans forward, but there is also a way that leads out of all this gruesome, senseless futility. And Jonah says, but if that's correct, if there is an escape, why is everything happening again? Why have you changed nothing? And he says, basically, everything, like, I couldn't possibly become who I am if I tried to change anything about what happened with you. You are who you are because of, you know, all of the things that have led up to this. Um, and he says that the thing in the future that you saw with the God particle there is not the end of the chain. And we come back to him showing Jonas in a, like a, another room of this crazy house church thing that he lives in, that he has this God particle like already set up somewhere else, even in this like, what, 1921, um, with the technology that he had, he could easily, I guess, bring back technology. Um, but yeah, he says it's not the same as the one in the future. It is like it's twin, but this one that you're looking at isn't the same exact one. And it's a section of the infinite. It penetrates everything. People have given it all sorts of names over the centuries to which I'm like, over the centuries. But yeah, then he starts talking about ether and dark matter. Um, and he says, in the future, it will be created by the catastrophe in two days that you so dearly want to prevent. This one was created by us. Um, it is the continuation of technical evolution. And it will be the end of this knot. This one will send you exactly to the day that you want to travel to. It will break the 33-year cycle. And Jonas is staring at him and he says, so that's why I'm here? Because you want me to go. You want to stop all this from happening. For me to stop the very beginning. Go back to the day the question he says the question is when is the beginning what sacrifice must we make and jonah says the 20th of june 2019 the day before it happened the day before my dad committed suicide and before it all went to chaos if you can prevent him from taking his own life, the then nothing that follows will occur. What does he mean when he says, what sacrifice do we need to make? Oh, right, because they'll never be born. Duh. Because I'm thinking that he's like, oh, so, yeah, so he has to sacrifice himself. And that was what he meant when he says, everyone else will live, but I didn't understand how I could ask myself to do this. And see, this is what I said from the beginning, guys, when he runs into uh, his older self and his older self stops him and is like, don't you understand if you go get Mikkel and bring him back, you will never be alive. And in that moment, I was like, look, that sucks. Yes. But also, this is fucked up and wrong. 
maybe you shouldn't be alive. If this is how you were brought about, maybe that's fine. You know, um, I just, yeah. So this is the choice that Jonas has stopping his father from killing himself. And somehow his, his Adam thinks that that means nothing will occur. But I don't know that to be true because he left a note with his mother. If he does, like, why does he think that's the thing that will keep everything from happening? Mikkel will still disappear, won't he? Like, they still will be looking through the woods and near the caves for the drugs. I guess not because they went to find the drugs because Eric disappeared. And Eric wouldn't have disappeared if they weren't doing these experiments. I guess, I guess I see that. Hmm. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I see it. I see it. Um, so yeah, we see him like getting the whole fucking, this, this machine, I gotta say is really cool. The way that it's set up. It's very like steampunky, but in a way that doesn't feel like too cinematic. It doesn't feel false, you know? Um, and he says, if you succeed, we will reorder the whole world. That is the part that I don't really understand. I, is it just that he is trying to see if he can control the travel to such a degree that we can make things happen that didn't happen the first time? And he's trying to prove that they can alter things. And that is what he thinks will be so revolutionary. I don't completely understand what he thinks like worldwide this is actually going to do. I don't understand it. But regardless, I have not gotten to the part and I'm over time here, but I have to. I'm going to talk really quickly about um, because Martha and Magnus, Elizabeth, for um Francesca and Bartas all go through the tunnel or no they don't go through the tunnel they use the machine they come out from the cave and i love the fact that like he's told them it's a time machine but when they come out and the chair is gone and everything looks just a little different they still don't really believe him and they walk out to the street and it's clear they think that they're still like in their own time until they see like the weird posters that are hung up and then a couple of police cars drive by and they're old cars. They're the old style ones. And poor fucking Ulrich has been picked up and separated from Mikkel again. He takes a moment to uh, yell some threats at Egon about how like, this is his fault. He's always the one that winds up getting in the way which I mean, he's not wrong, but Egan's trying to do his job. He's trying to do his best and that he'll kill him. So, I mean, we assume that's how Egan dies. I can't help but think maybe not. Maybe we're led to think that because it seems obvious now and that we're going to find out it was a very different set of circumstances. But he gets put in the back of this police car and then just happens to drive by the exact spot where his kids are fucking standing there looking around, realizing they've traveled in time. And it's just another moment of him getting so close. And I hate it. The show is so cruel to do things like that so often. What a mean thing to do. Oh, rude. Oh, hi, Branamir and Rashawn's here. Hi, guys. I'm sorry I didn't see you earlier. Um, I have had the uh, Netflix uh, window open in front of my face because this show has so much going on that I really have to pretty much be watching it the whole time I'm talking about it. Um, but yeah, so I just can't, guys, I can't get over it. What a, I I love the fact that we're coming to the conclusion that Jonas just has to not exist because that is what I said from the start. And Jonas has finally come to the same conclusion. Like I just have to take myself out of the equation and then we'll be fine, which, you know, I just don't understand his thinking about like, well, then we'll have a time. We'll have a world without time and without God. I don't get how he thinks that's true. That I don't understand. So if anybody has theories on that, let me know. Um, okay. I'm going to wrap up. Thank you very much again to Nikolai for commissioning this episode. Appreciate you 
Um, I hope that all of you guys have been enjoying listening. And yeah, share with me uh, if you're watching along, share with me your theories, because I'm curious what other newbies are thinking. And hopefully I will be seeing you again soon with a new episode. Don't forget to go to unspoiledpodcast.com slash shop if you want to commission an episode, because like I said, I'm only commissioned through episode eight, um, which is on the 10th of April. And from then on, nothing. And I'm booked through this third week of June. So, um, all right, guys, thank you again. And toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.